It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. They offer free checking with industry-leading mobile banking. Who you choose to bank with can make all the difference. Visit firstbank.com to learn more. What's going on, Hokie Nation? Conference play for both men's and women's basketball is in full swing as the men look to find their footing while the women come off the heels of arguably their biggest moment inside Castle Coliseum today. All that and a little football top 25 way too early conversation coming up. It's episode 340 of the Tech Sideline podcast, and it starts right now. Record on Tuesday, January 9th, 2024, from our high tech studios at the Virginia Tech Corporate Research Center. Remember to like, subscribe, and refer the show to a friend, and head over to techsideline.com to check out our extensive editorial content. As always, the first month of subscriptions is free. I'm your host, Giovanni Heater. In the fourth chair today, we got Mr. Will Stewart. Across the way, our managing editor, David Cunningham. To my right, lead analyst and columnist, Chris Coleman. Andy is just landing or on a red eye on his way back from a little family vacation. So uh, we will definitely see him shortly. But uh, we got a good crew on set. Nevertheless, we're going to talk some men's and women's basketball, a little bit of football to lead off the show. But it's also a good time to tell you that Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. This episode, though is also presented by Triumph NIL. Triumph NIL is a unique and experienced sports marketing agency specializing in building custom name, image, and likeness partnerships for student athletes. NIL is working at Virginia Tech, and Triumph NIL is a big reason as to why. Visit triumphnil.com to learn more, subscribe, and support the Hokies in NIL. All right, let's talk a little bit of football, gentlemen. Not a whole lot to discuss here, but it is that day after the national championship game. Obviously, Michigan took down Washington uh, yesterday in Houston to be national champions for the first time since 1997. And with that, the next morning, and honestly, moments after that game ends, comes your way too early top 25s across the country. And for the first time in what feels like a minute, the Hokies are back in that conversation. So we're going to kind of go list by list here. But first, I want to start out by asking you guys your season wrap up thoughts on Hokies football uh, in year number two under Brent. Probably we'll start with Chris. I think they're in a good spot. I I think uh, the way they played down the stretch, the way they played after the Marshall game, uh, they've got a ways to go as far as when they go against, you know, like a really good defense with really good discipline players like your NC States, your Louisville's, your Florida States. Certainly they have a ways to go up front there, I think. But as far as what they do against everybody else, I, I think they've made, made huge strides. Uh, the schedule is favorable for next season. So I, so I think people have a right to be excited about the prospects of the team next year. When Brent Pry was higher, the cover was pretty bare at, at some spots. And that's not necessarily a shot at the previous regime, but there were some holes. And 
I think you saw it across the board. The tech lacked talent at a lot of places. Through two years, Virginia Tech is obviously making steady progress. Uh, I think the Hokies are on a good upward trajectory. I think the future is positive. Tech has done very well in the portal. Tech has done very well recruiting the Commonwealth again. I think the thing that will separate Tech from... The thing that determines Tech's ceiling, I think, is is up front, like Chris said. Um, I think the thing that stood out to me when watching the college football playoff games, you look back at that Alabama-Michigan game, everything's won in the trenches. And I think that's, at least on the offensive side of the ball, is where the Hokies' weakness, if there is one, is. If how they improve in that area will determine their ceiling. But they got everybody back. Kyron Jones is back. Basial Tootin's back. The the receivers are back. Dorian Strong's back. Anton Powell Ryan's back. There's a lot of positive energy around the program. Everybody wants to be there. The military bowl is kind of just a cherry on top. So a lot of lot of positive energy going forward. I think they're in a good place. They've still got um, you know on both the offensive and defensive line. I think. Um, obviously, they filled some holes on the defensive line, but I think you know if they can. Um, they've got Sam Brumfield in. If they can kind of figure out who can play alongside him and play alongside him consistently, and then figure out the safety spot. I mean, the holes that are concerning have kind of you know last season there was a bunch of them. This season there are very very few. So I think they're continuing to make progress, which is a good sign. Will, how are you feeling after the season comes to a close here? The record says seven and six, but the eye test and the heart say nine and four. All right. That was a nine and four football team at the end of the year. If they can go back and play Purdue and Marshall again, they would win those games. So those of us that follow them closely, we know that that's what we're looking at. Um, the, I don't think the rest of the country really knows it, even though you're going to go through some of the early top 25s. I think a lot of that, unfortunately, is driven by the bowl win, you know, and the way Tech looked in the bowl, which I think is silly. But uh, David's correct. They're doing a good job building the roster. The depth is what they will continue to work on in coming years. And next year's schedule is very comparable to this year's schedule in terms of strength. Yes, I know teams change a lot during the offseason with the portal. Um uh, one last thing to say about that is that I uh, eh, lost my train of thought, so back to you. All right. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, we want to go list by list here a little bit. Uh, we we, we picked some of our most reputable uh, lists here. So CBS Sports left Virginia Tech out of their top 25. The Athletic had them just missing it. Uh, they were receiving votes. And they this is top 20, early top 25 for next year. Yes. Way, they they yeah. literally call it the way too early. All of them are saying the way too early top 25. Uh, again, these are published moments after the national championship game. Uh, so the Athletic had Tech just out. Yahoo Sports had Tech left out. ESPN left Virginia Tech out. USA Today had the Hokies ranked at 25th in the country. Pro Football Focus left Virginia Tech out. 247 Sports had them third in receiving votes, so just outside of the top 25. And on three had them left out. Not everybody had, uh, pretty much every time that, that Tech was left out, there was no receiving votes category or just missed or whatever they want to call it. They just did a top 25. So you don't know how close Tech could have been. Uh, but 
generally these lists are pretty much the same teams in in text echelon so to speak where um you know kansas state smu was around there florida state was floating in the 18 to 23 range miami um what yeah surprising to see will made a face see florida mm-hmm. state that low maybe um so that's kind of what you're looking at as far as competition uh bleacher report uh left virginia tech out as well that was one i had, I had forgotten to mention but the gist seems to be that Tech's kind of a fringe top 25 team here. Do you guys see Virginia Tech as a top 25 team heading into next season? I think they're a team that has a chance to be. There's probably 15 to 30 teams that could say the same that are on that fringe list that uh, if they use the portal to fill out their rosters correctly, if they stay healthy, if you know the, the bounces go their way and, and, and what have you. But yes, Virginia Tech will have that opportunity. I think it does not surprise me that they're not probably will not be a preseason top twenty-five team. But you know, I just know about Virginia Tech. That's the thing. I don't know what other teams have done in the transfer portal. It, it used to be easy, like you just look at their rosters and see how many seniors they have and <laughs> make your projections from there. But now it's like, well, how many of those seniors actually have an extra year and are coming back? And what have they done in the portal? There's a lot more to study the, the, these days. Um, so I don't know as much about other teams. Like, who's going to – has Florida State got a portal quarterback? Yeah, DJ Uyunglele. Right. That's DJU. Right. That's right. Wow. Coming, yeah. back, coming back to the ACC. Huh? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, but, like, is he as good as Jordan Travis? No, mm. in my opinion. I think he's got a lot of natural arm talent. But uh, Jordan Travis was a great college quarterback. Um, so I think Florida State downgrades slightly uh, there. So the 18 to 23 range seems about right. But, like, you know, there's so many teams out there that I just don't know enough about because the rosters are so fluid these days. But I do think Virginia Tech deserves mention in that list. And we've talked about it since before the bowl game. That, you know, whatever happened to the bowl game next year sets up there's a chance to be a very successful season. You know, like, like Will said, Virginia Tech could have won two more games this year. Um, now, if they'd won those two regular season games, they would have been a di- in a different bowl game with against a better opponent, most likely. So you don't know whether they would have won a ninth game or not. So the way I look at it, Virginia Tech is an eight-win regular season team this year, eight and four, because I think if they played those two games at the beginning all over again, they'd win them. Whether they would have won a ninth at a bowl game, we don't know. Uh, I look at next year's schedule, and uh, I'm thinking, like, I'll be disappointed if they don't go better at least eight and four again. Or again. They they didn't officially do it this past year, but they could have. I'll be disappointed, like, if if, if they did worse than that. I would be disappointed, like, if they don't go nine and three. Because I feel like with so many guys coming back, and I think you filled most of your holes adequately through the portal – then the re- the guys who were coming back should improve and and uh, so uh, you've got Clemson at home, which is a winnable game. Mm-hmm. It home. is yeah. for sure. Um, you're at Miami. I mean, Miami could be ten and two. Or they could be five and seven. But we we don't know what Miami is going to show up on a year to year basis or even a week to week. And the crowd at Miami doesn't scare you, right? Right, exactly. Um, and you know Rutgers. I will throw Rutgers in there because their defense and their running game are beastly. And I'm guessing they'll go in the portal and get another quarterback if they haven't already. Luckily, you get them at lane. They have not. Yeah, yeah. fortunately, you get them at lane, and you're going to be running a different offensive system than you were last year when you played them. Um, yeah, I think all those are fair rankings. And, and for me, I'm sitting here thinking 
yeah, nine and three, ten and two, something like that. I think it's legitimately possible. Just just for Nick, by the way, big game boomer had him at number twenty two, which was the <laughs> highest ranked that that the Hokies were. That that is what started this whole conversation in our uh, big group chat. David, what you got? Yeah, I think I think Tech is kind of right there in that conversation, but I think Tech still has a lot to prove. Like, I think beating a two lane team, beating eleven win two lane team, yes, it's good, but. Tulane also was missing a bunch of guys. And um, what what stands out to me is I think back to some of those big games against Florida State and Louisville this year. The teams that were very good, mm-hmm. Tech was outmatched, clearly. Um, now, Tech beat the teams in, as we described, it's echelon, right? Tech beat the Boston Colleges, the Virginias, um, knocked them out of the park, frankly. Yeah. Um, I think there's still some ways to go. I think this is a team that could probably win eight games next year. Um, but, you know, and, and probably, you know, I, I could totally see Tech winning, Tech starting 2-0 and or 3-0 and, and jumping into the bottom of the top 25. I, I think that's very, very possible. You look back to last season, Tech obviously started 1-4, and four, and um, I think getting off to a good start is what really matters. The non-conference slate isn't, too scary. I mean, it's Rutgers, Marshall, o- ODU, and Vanderbilt. Marshall again? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Mar- Marshall comes to Blacksburg. Yep. Rutgers is in Blacksburg. Tech goes to Vanderbilt, and then Tech goes to Norfolk. So Sheen Ali coming back? I don't know. I, have no I have been covering basketball. Well, I'm not as worried about this year because Tech has a Mike linebacker now. Yeah, but but I I think the biggest thing is like like Chris said, the schedule sets up nicely and. This is a team that has a lot of potential. I, I still think that there's some ways to go. I think the guys that they brought in it really helps. They've got to develop the guys that are already in the program. And that means Tech needs to figure out who's going to play Will Linebacker. If if Keontae Jenkins doesn't come back, who's going to back up Caleb Woodson at star? Um, it, or, or is somebody else going to slide over there? Who... Is, is that the offensive line you feel confident in? And how good is that group? How cohesive is that group? Those will determine how what tech's, how good Tech can be in that top 25. I think Tech could be a top 25 team, very much so, because a lot of the pieces are there. I mean, when you, when you return as much as Tech is returning, you're going to be in every conversation. Um, but for me, there's still some, some questions that I go – Okay, like, yes, I, I, I expect Tech to handle the teams it should handle, but, you know, when, when you face a team that, in more, that has more talent than you in Clemson, that is going to be one of the bigger tests. When you face a team like Miami that probably has more talent, those are going to be the opportunities that are going to decide everything. But, yeah, a lot of positivity around it. To think about... You know, Brent Pry took over in December 2021, and Virginia Tech is now in the top 25 conversation, uh, you know, a little after two years after he took the job. So pretty impressive, the job that he and the staff have done. Definitely some serious, serious momentum in the football program. Will, I wanted to get your thoughts on your way-too-early projections for Tech football next season. Well, it's interesting because the thing that left my mind a moment ago is relevant to this discussion. It's all about the injuries. Mm. Who's going to get hurt between now and then? And the one thing talking about the schedule, and I'm Hokie fans are going to get pissed off at me for saying this, Virginia Tech goes to Syracuse next year. Mark it down as an L until it's proven otherwise. 
The Hokies are two and eight in the Carrier Dome, which we will always call it the Carrier You're Dome. You're just trying to get me in trouble over here. No, you just you just sit there and listen. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tech is two and eight. They won in 1986, and they won up there when they had a guy named Michael Vick at quarterback. Otherwise, they they have not proven they can win up there. And even that Vick game was a struggle. I yeah. know Vick had to score a big long touchdown run at the end, and and so. Again, this is going to piss you off, but you got to, if you want to go nine and three, you got to win nine of the other 11. So <laughs> that is my hot take to make Hokie fans mad. Yeah. And that's, I mean, obviously that's a Syracuse team with a, with a brand new coach, but those are the games that Virginia Tech is going to have to win, right? How many, how many road games did Virginia Tech win in the ACC this year? <clears throat> two. And they were the final two, Boston College and Virginia. Like this was a team that halfway through the season had not yet that had that had only won on the road once before Boston College in Brent Price's entire tenure. Yeah. There are like, yes, there are there are pot there. There's a lot of positivity, but this is also a team that didn't really hit its stride until the beginning of November. And I'm very curious to kind of see how everything kind of pans out in the spring if the Hokies can stay healthy, like Will said. Um, because they're going to be in situations like that where they're probably going to be favored when they go up to the Carrier Dome, when they go up to Syracuse. And can they pull it out? Can you get it done on the road? And, um, you know, if they can, then they probably have the makings of the top 25 team. That will be a fun one. Uh, we don't know when exactly on the schedule that'll be, but that'll be a fun one because for the first time, probably since the game Will's talking about, it's going to be the most talent a Syracuse roster has had <laughs> since then uh, as well. Low bar. So. Yeah, I mean, the, the uh, bar is incredibly Jan- January 31st is when the ACC uh, football schedule comes out. So mark that down. That That's big. That is That was officially announced by the conference when um, it announced the new scheduling model back in the fall. Speaking of schedule, we're right on pace here, gentlemen. So good job, everybody. A little stat time with Scott Glessner. We'll send it over to Will. First of all, an interesting thing from the message boards, and let me pull this up on my phone so I get it correct. Um Somebody included a picture of the Parade All-American teams from 1995. Now, you youngins don't know what a Parade All-American team is. Back when newspapers ruled and there was no internet, there was an insert in the Sunday paper called Parade Magazine. And they were typically a, an entertainment and culture insert. They, they weren't about sports. But once a year, they would do a Parade High School All-Americans. And it was a fairly, fairly small team, probably about maybe 50 guys total from high schools all over the country. And for some reason, the Parade All-American, even though Parade didn't cover sports, it was kind of revered to be a Parade All-American. And let me read you the quarterbacks from the 1995 Parade All-American team. Some of them, I don't want to hang up on any of them because the, the last one I'm going to mention is the most interesting. Chris Redman, Dan Kendra, I recognize that, went to Florida State. Bobby Sablehouse, never heard of him. Quincy Woods, Brock Heward, we all recognize that Brock name. Brock Heward, yeah. Jason Peace, Brian Messer, and a guy named Justin Fuente. <laughs> he was one of eight Parade All-American quarterbacks wow. in 1995. So wow. that is not a stat time with Scott Glessner. So let's let's transition to that. Um, I think the last time we did stat time with Scott Glessner, I was a little bit uh, guilty of rushing through it. Okay. So I'll, I'll slow down a little bit this time in case you guys have any input on it. Um, I think this is the most interesting thing he sent. The Military Bowl win against Tulane was the fourth straight time Virginia Tech has won a bowl game when their first drive ended in a fumble. So the next time Tech's in a bowl game, the first drive ends in a fumble, say to yourself, yes! When was the last time? Was it the Rutgers? 
So he listed them. Russell Athletic Bowl? 2002 San Francisco Bowl versus Air Force. Mm-hmm. 2012 Russell Athletic Bowl yep. versus Rutgers. And the 2016 Belk Bowl. Oh, Tech I, fumbled yeah. on the first possession yeah. of that. Tech fumbled on the first possession against Rutgers uh, this regular season, too. Oh, well. Did not. Did and not. And the really. same as the Athletic it's Bowl. It's got to be a bowl game. Yeah. Um, and, you know, last year when Tech was struggling in uh, 2022, we spent a lot of time talking about how they didn't score over 30 points in a single game. Uh, Virginia Tech has scored over 40 points in three of their last – 40 points in three of their last four games. Um, the last time Virginia Tech had a stretch like that was when they did it four straight times in 2010. Wow. So that was – that was Tyrod and Danny Cole and David Jared Wilson Boykin. and Jared Boy. That was yeah. They had playmakers all. You guys the remember last year when they didn't score thirty? <laughs> Quite a turnaround. Hopefully, I think I've mostly blocked that out from my brain right now. Hopefully, it completely goes away soon enough. Hopefully, that like one day we'll look back and say that was just a blip on the radar. Yeah, I think the stat was that the, that's the first time Tech had failed to score thirty points in a game since either nineteen seventy seven or nineteen seventy nine. So that was pretty bad. Um, <laughs> speaking of the Russell Athletic Bowl, oh the 252 yards by Tulane is the lowest figure by a Virginia Tech Bowl opponent since 196 yards by Rutgers in the 2012 Russell Athletic Bowl. And I just have to laugh that that was, you know, if you remember the Russell Athletic Bowl afterwards, everybody was like, my eyes, my eyes. A lot of puns. Um, what was the final score of that game? 13 to 13 10. 13 to 10. Yeah. Rutgers, go, Rutgers was winning 10 to nothing going into the fourth quarter. <laughs> Wow. The tech rallied. Big wow. one. Yeah. That game was nasty. It was horrible. Right. I, I think it was the worst game I've ever watched. Really? Yeah. I would watch the Wake Forest game over the, the Russell Athletic Ball. More things. Uh, I feel like Tech moved the ball better, generally speaking, in the, in the Wake Forest game. Between it was the little, 20s. It was a little more entertaining, I, I thought. Between yeah. the 20s. Yeah. The, uh, the two penalties by Tulane is the lowest by a Virginia Tech Bowl opponent on record, so that's pretty interesting. Wow. Um, here's another another one. Virginia Tech, has, Virginia Tech has scored at least six points in every quarter of every military bowl they've played in. There have been three military bowls, and Tech scores in every quarter. Wow. Virginia Tech has scored a touchdown in 10 of those 12 quarters in the military bowl. That is interesting. That is, that's impressive, actually. Yeah. Um, one last one from Scott, and this is random. It's not bowl related. Uh, Virginia Tech has at one time scored 34 or more points in every quarter on record quarters, one through four. Um, most ever scored in a quarter was uh, 35 points against Arkansas state in 2002. I remember that game. Yeah. What do you remember about that game? They had, Arkansas state actually had a player from Roanoke. Uh, he was like a wide receiver or a running back. I think something like I that. Forget his last name. It was it was a unique last name. Mm-hmm. But like he knew Lee Suggs, of course, because they were from uh, Roanoke. Right. I just remember it. What was it like, sixty-two to seven final? Something score? like that. They hit a deep bomb over like a freshman DB at the end of the game. Probably Carry Wade it for some a, reason. It was. It was over Carry Wade. Why do I remember? That? I don't know. I don't remember what I did yesterday. <laughs> uh, like uh, what was Wait, the score? Oh, of the oh, game? Oh, 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 I know. Okay, so it was sixty-three-seven. Yeah. Was it James Hicken, Hickenbotham? Yeah, there you go. Yep, Hick, yeah. that Hick, was it. Hickenbotham. That's it. It was. I he think had two catches were, for thirty nine yards. Oh, yeah. um, I just remember that as D'Angelo Hall himself almost had thirty five points in the first <laughs> quarter. Yeah. Was that the game where he ran two? No, no, that he was, ran two. That was Syracuse in two thousand three. D'Angelo Hall had a sixty nine yard. He had he had an interception return 
He had a punt return and an interception return in the first quarter. Tech, in the first quarter. Tech, so he outscored them by himself. So, yeah, so it was a 69-yard punt return from D'Angelo Hall, a 32-yard rush from Lee Suggs, a 49-yard interception return from D'Angelo Hall, a 19-yard reception from Je- Jeff King from Grant Knoll, uh, and a Kevin Jones 19-yard rush. Tech led 35-0 after the first quarter, scored three times in the second. Brian Randall, 12-yard rush. Jason Lallis, 59-yard fumble return. Fumble return. Mike Emo, 19-yard pass from Brian Randall. And then, yes, with 11 minutes to go, Arkansas State scored. Uh, A 73-yard touchdown pass. And then Brian Randall had a five-yard rush to uh, close out the game. Yeah, so basically they they blew him out in the first half and then put in the backups. Put in the backups and rested the starters for the second half because they had LSU next week. And that uh, game is also... One of the few games that that dog, Will Hunt, played in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right. One last stat from Scott, and this is a downer. Virginia Tech has never allowed more than 30 points in a quarter. 28 points is the most they've ever ever allowed in a quarter. Tell me when the last time Virginia Tech allowed 28 points in a quarter was. Is it within the last decade? A quarter. Justin Fuente's coaching career at Tech turned around for the worst. That was it Duke? Duke. Was it? No, Syracuse. Because they ODU, ODU oh. in 2018. They did it in a quarter. Wow. Yeah, they scored 28 points. Because yeah, Syracuse right. scored a ton in the fourth that game, and that was when they chanted Fire Fuente. That's why that was my yeah, guess. Yeah, I think it's it's not on the list. The point UCLA in 2013 in that Sun Bowl. Uh, mm, yeah. Alabama scored 28 points in. Two different quarters in 1973. <laughs> Duke, in 19, Duke in 1951. Yeah, so Alabama scored 28 points in the second and 28 points in the third. 56 points in two quarters. All right. Thank you, Scott. All right. Thank you, Scott. Talk a little bit of men's basketball here. Flip the script a little bit. <clears throat> Safe to say, you hate to do it, but things not going so well for the Hokies right now. Back-to-back losses on the road in ACC play to Wake Forest and Florida State. Fellas, I turn it over to Chris and David. What's going on? What's the issue here? It's a combination of a lot of things. It's a lot of things. I, I think what has led to this point is it, it, it's a few different things, but mainly that one recruiting class, the Mike Jones recruiting class of what I call it. 50% of those players are gone, which is common these days, but it was the two most talented players of that class, two players who I believe would be starting right for Virginia Tech. By, and which you mean was the 2022 class right, yeah, in yeah. Rodney Rice, who's gone, Darren mm-hmm. Buchanan, mm-hmm. who's gone. And playing well for GW. And then he just MJ, scored 38 points the other day. Yeah, yeah a triple overtime. MJ Collins, he was a, a yeah. 10 rookie of the week. Right. Um, and MJ Collins and Patrick Wessler are that four-person class is right. what Chris is talking about. Right. And uh, so I think if you put Buchanan in there at the four, and obviously you put Rice in there at guard, and I think you've got a better basketball team. Uh, I think the performance, uh, like in that third guard or wing spot, whatever you want to call it, Tech actually did get pretty good production from Nickel and MJ Collins. They combined for 19 points the other day, but that's not normal. For, for that, for but, them to but combine. Look at, for but look at the points. front court scoring. Oh, I know. I know. That was going to be my next point. Uh, you know, it was an off game for Lynn Kidd. I mean, Florida State is so big. Uh, 
but he's been a good productive player for Tech. And he's but at least he came up with eight rebounds and three assists, right? Even though he didn't have a, a good scoring game. But Tech hasn't gotten production from the four spot all season. Um, you were ne- you never expected to replace the assists assists of Justin Mutz. He led the team in assists two years in a row. But you expected to replace some of his scoring. But you've got Makai Long and Robbie uh, Barron combining for nine points and six rebounds. Uh, and they even played together some against Florida State. So that they were they played a total of 44 minutes. And, you know, you, you just need more. Those are two redshirt seniors or fifth-year seniors because yeah. of COVID. Yeah, uh, like, you, you need more production f- from that spot. And I don't doesn't mean doesn't necessarily mean that either one of those guys <laughs> is a bad player. It just means that, like, ideally for Virginia Tech – I think both of them at this level, at the ACC level, are twelve to fifteen minute a game guys. Behind a behind yeah. a, a starter. Yeah, but, I would say. Yeah, I mean, probably Barron played. He started for Northwestern. Yeah, but in by the Big Ten. Correct, but by the end of his year, his career, he was on the bench. Yeah, uh, he was I, only playing I, I think, about ten minutes think, a game by I the think end of his career. I think they're probably like fourteen to eighteen minute guy. The, the the problem is that tech does not have consistent contributions from everywhere. Now Champadoul I thought had a much better game. Mm-hmm. He's been injured. He got back healthy. Hunter Couture had a great game. When you're scoring in the backcourt like tech was like Tyler Nickel and MJ Collins, great. The thing that stood out to me was nine assists on twenty five baskets. The ball didn't move. And now part of that is the way Florida State defends. Um Florida State's length makes it <clears throat> difficult to move the ball. So Tech's forced you like the openings are when you drive, and and that's what Tech did a lot more of. The problem is that's not Tech basketball. Tech Tech does not usually have success off of driving. Tech has success off of passing the ball around, moving. Yeah, the occasional drive and kick, but a lot of times it was a Tech driving to the rim and trying to put up a shot. And then I look at the front court, and like you said, Chris. Tyler Nickel and MJ Collins scoring 19 points, that's pretty impressive. They, they don't usually score together mm-hmm. like that. But at the same time, Tech got 10 total points from the front court. That's between Lynn Kidd, Makai Long, Robbie Barron, and Melangeau Poteet. And I, I think the problem is, the, the biggest problem is, that Gio, that this team does not have consistent contributions from anybody outside of Hunter Couture and right. Sean Padula. And, and even that, that is like, like you look at Wake Forest, like Wake Forest took away Hunter Couture for the most part, and Sean Padula was playing hurt. Like, yes, Lynn Kidd scored the ball pretty well, but they're in, in, in all of Mike Young's teams, you even look back at that first team, there was somebody... They had multiple guys that that could kind of drive and get a bucket if needed. They could like, like they could kind of will you to a bucket a little bit. I think about Landers Nolly. Like you know, Tech fans hate don't don't like Dan Landers Nolly because he left and he went to a bunch of different schools and whatnot. But like his like that first year, that team was not very good. But he and Tyrese Radford were able to kind of will Tech to get buckets. And then you go to the Kevin Luma Justin Mutz era where you've got Naheem Aline and you've got Hunter Couture and, and you got Wabisa Beatty. And then you've got Storm Murphy and Mutz and Aluma. And, and, like, Justin Mutz, Kevin Aluma, those guys were always creating. You always knew that, like, if you threw it down in the post, you could get a bucket from Justin Mutz and Kevin Aluma. 
It was, you know, they weren't going to score every time, but they were going to score a lot of the time. And then you had Grant Bazzilli last year. And I thought, you know, Bazzilli was good. He he wasn't necessarily great on the defensive, but he improved as the season went along. And he was a terrific scorer. He's gone. Justin Muntz is gone. And I think Tech's defense has been hit or miss. But the defensive efficiency is rated higher than the offensive efficiency is right now. But what worries me is that there there is not a consistent guy on the floor outside of Hunter Couture that, that is scoring at a high rate. Like, Sean Badul is doing it. Um, but he had a few games here or there. But if you only have two guys and they're both guards that can score, like, there are times where Tech throws the ball down low and it's and and it's a turnover or Lynn Kidd gets double teamed. Like, Tech does not have enough consistency across the board. And that that's a combination of not retaining... You know, not retaining guys that that come and, and play for you originally, and you know, sure, there there are a bunch of different reasons why those guys are no longer there, ranging from uh, the guys that left two or three years ago, the Jalen Cones, the John Ojiakos, to the Darius Maddoxes, the Rodney Rices, the Darren Buchanan's. There are a lot of guys who have come and left, and they've all had their reasons. But the the amount of turnover I think hurts Tech because. Tech's going to have to lose both of its fours next year. Makai Long and Robbie Barron are going to be gone next year, too. It's like, it's just, it's just this cycle. And Mike Young has, like, not getting Grant Bazzilli back, I think, really hurt because they had Justin Mutz at that spot for so long. But now Tech's kind of just, like, not getting any consistent contributions from that spot in terms of scoring. Makai Long is a pretty good rebounder, and he and Robbie Barron are both pretty good defenders. But I, I look at I look at Virginia Tech, and then I look at other ACC teams. And I covered the Wake Forest game in person. I even look at Florida State, and and I think Florida State's in a similar boat, not as good. But I look at Wake Forest and what Steve Forbes has been able to do with that roster. Doesn't matter what five players like of that eight eight or nine man rotation. Doesn't matter what five players you put on the floor. Every person is a threat to score, and I don't. You just don't feel that way with Virginia Tech. And then the issues kind of snowball a little bit from there. This team, it's not it's not as dynamic out of the post. I wrote an inside the numbers article last year, and I went over Padula's assist numbers. It's not about Padula. It's what it says about everybody else. You know, last year, Padula was second on the team in assists. And even the year before that, Storm Murphy was second on the team in assists. Well, now Padula is first by a wide margin. It's not even close. Mm-hmm. So Tech isn't isn't getting the passing out of the four and five spots as they were in the past. You don't necessarily expect that to happen every year, though. Um, Mutz was such a great assist it, 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 it was so unique. So so when you don't have that type of stuff anymore, you have to make up for it in other ways. Um, and Tech is... Just unable to do it. They, uh, they're they not physically tough enough at times. That one stretch in this game. Now, Florida State, Tech actually outscored Florida State 11-9 to in second chance points. I'm not even sure that's an accurate stat. Do they count free throws? Because Tech fouled them a bunch after they grabbed offensive rebounds. It was like a stretch of like four straight possessions where Florida State was just offensive rebound, offensive rebound. It was three straight possessions, and Florida State had eight offensive rebounds. Right, right, right. And, uh... They had 11 for the game, and it was in that stretch when they made their run and came back, and they just out-tough tech. Um, 
so that that's an issue as well where I just, I just it's just not a very physical team so they're not as skilled as they were last year and they're also not as physical as they were the last few years that's a recipe for not being as good um now that's what we're saying right now on january the 9th uh we all know as tech fans things can change over the course of a season um and, and you can you can look and say and a player who's not performing well maybe it's more he's getting used to the system than, than anything else but it's got it's got to start soon it's got to start soon because you can't if you want to make the NCAA tournament now this i don't i don't even know why we're I, probably we're not going to have that conversation anymore after another week or so fair because it just does that doesn't yeah. have the look of an NCAA yeah, tournament yeah and 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 this it's it'd be one thing if if tech was if Tech was playing Louisville every week, but Tech's not playing Louisville every week. Yeah. I mean, and you you could even say like Notre Dame. Notre Dame looks a lot better than than the record. And I, at the beginning of the year, I thought, okay, this this is going to be interesting to see. There's probably going to be a gap between the the teams at the top and the teams at the bottom of the ACC. I mean, yeah, some of the teams at the bottom aren't as good, but Georgia Tech beat Duke. Mm-hmm. No, Notre Dame has picked up a big win or two. Um, you know, like those teams aren't as far down anymore. And right now, Tech's probably like ninth or tenth. Yeah. And and in comes Clemson, in comes Miami, then you go to UVA, then you go to NC State. So that, let's bring it there. That's our next four. Uh, if you're looking at Virginia Tech's upcoming schedule, you host number 21, Clemson, you host Miami, then like you mentioned, uh, at UVA in Charlottesville, and then you're down in Raleigh against NC State. How do you turn things around? Because that's a gauntlet right there. That's four of the upper echelon teams in the league at this moment. You have to be physical. Uh, yeah. You have to be mentally physical because Clemson always comes in and uses its physicality. That is the staple of Brad Brownell's team. They come in and they're physical. You you've gotta you've gotta have that aspect of you. Miami's the athletic team. Miami's going to come like and then you go to UVA and you're gonna have to be disciplined. And that's a place Tech hasn't won since Kerry Blackshear hit that shot, which feels like a decade ago at this point. Um, and then you got NC State, an NC State team who is kind of a combination of athletic and physical. And I think NC State just blew out UVA by twenty or something like that yeah. over the weekend. I mean, it was a, it was a twenty point game. Like UVA is the most winnable game in that stretch. <laughs> and UVA has the best defense, correct? In that stretch, and, and like. I think that Tech UVA. I think that Tech UVA game might be like first to forty. Not <laughs> but but you you've just you've got to move the ball. You've got to move the ball, and you have to defend as a team. And I think that's what Tech struggled at right now, moving the ball. I think you know, like Chris said, Shambadula kind of has to do some of the stuff he has been doing because there aren't many other. He has options. to do too much. Yes. If he doesn't do too much this year, I thought he did too much at times last year when Tech had a bunch of scoring and passing options. This year, he has to do too much. Otherwise, Tech's going to struggle to score. Yeah, and it's it's going to come down to every game getting Hunter Couture going. I look back at that Wake Forest game where Hunter Couture only had a, a three or two, and it was a twenty point game. Yeah, be, be, like like it wasn't it wasn't close because. Nothing went right. I, I was mad that they wasted a five of six three point performance from Hunter Couture in that game. He went five of six. That guy just goes off 
in that arena. Yeah, he oh, does. Talking yeah, about yeah. Florida State. Yeah. Florida State. Anytime yeah. he even steps in the state in of Florida, Florida, he goes he, he off. He seems to. Now, if you told me this before the game, the Tech will go 11 of 23 from three-point range, that they would out-rebound Florida State, yeah. they would hold Florida State to four fast break points. Hmm. Um, I would have said, yeah, Tech, Tech's going to win the game. Yeah. Um, but th- this team is to still an old Seth Greenberg line that he would break out one, a lot of times whenever Tech lost a game. He's like, we weren't strong enough with the ball. We weren't strong with the ball. Look at the Tech is not numbers. strong with the ball. This is not a strong a team that is strong with the ball. 16 turnovers, uh, 17 points off turnovers for Florida State. And that was the difference. I mean, Tech struggles when athletic teams get up in their face. And uh, what were the second chance points? Did you go over that? Technically, Tech won that battle eleven to nine, but I'm not sure. It didn't they, feel that way. Well, that but, was that but one that, stretch. But that's the thing. Well, and that, and that, that was, they only had three baskets off of that. They just had a lot of rebounds. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, the thing, yeah, because that I was sitting there thinking the whole game. Okay, if I write something about this game or on the podcast next week or whatever, I'm going to say how I was really impressed that Virginia Tech did the things they needed to do to beat Florida State. They only allowed four fast break points because they were so good on transition defense. Transition yeah. defense uh, and and they, they were uh, – they, they, they just did a lot of little things well. And then that point, it just started breaking down. They started allowing offensive rebounds and yeah, yeah, got out, kind of out physical. I don't remember the exact number, but during that stretch, uh, Florida State outshot Tech something like eleven to two. Yeah, you know, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and I think I think most of those were free throws, Chris. Like, it, yeah. like it was it was like a it was a basket and a free throw, yes. a basket and a free. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I just sixteen turnovers is not the look of a Mike Young team. Tech had 12 turnovers in the first half against Wake Forest. And mm-hmm. teams, teams are like, UVA won't do it because it's UVA. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm sure Brad Brownell and, and Jim Laranega are sitting there watching the film, licking their chops at Tech, going, Tech can't handle the ball. Like, Tech, Tech the, the number of mental mistakes I've seen Tech make, it's like, I think back to the Wake Forest game, like, guys stepping out of bounds, Tech not being able to inbound the ball. Like, that's like fundamental stuff. Mm-hmm. And and this Tech team had 16 turnovers, four of them from Padula, three of them from Kidd. And that's, you know, you're going to have a lot of turnovers when you play a team that's as long as Florida State is. But Mike Young teams don't turn the ball over as much. They're not, they're not as good offensively. They're not moving the ball, and they're turning it over more. That's just a bad combination. Yeah, you know, normally Mike Young teams are very entertaining to watch, even if they lose. Um, I would say even his first team at Tech, which, you know, only went 500, it was still an entertaining team to watch because the ball moves really well. Um, there were some good physical players on that team. Like, well, Bisabidi wasn't a good scorer, but he was a physical player. He was a physically, he was an ACC player. He wanted player. to get up in your face and defend you. Exactly. Uh, and, and, you know, Tyrese Radford was the same way. Tech didn't have any trouble getting the ball over the half-court line that year, right? Because they had the ACC athletes to do it. They didn't quite have enough shooters and and things like that. They didn't have enough depth or enough size, but they had enough athletes. Uh, Now, you know, there are times where they do, they struggle to get the ball past half-court. Yeah. Uh, I, I I think it's actually a testament to how good a coach Mike Young is when, like, they can go score 70 points, 74 <laughs> points in a game on the road. And I don't th- actually think, without good coaching, I don't think they would be able to do that. So 
we'll see if we're having the same conversation on March yeah. 9th because things can change between in, in two months. But right now, I think he's got some retooling on his roster that he'll have to we have to do in the offseason. Uh, you know, we, we knew already it was going to happen at the four spot anyway because it's, it's two seniors. Done, yeah. Exactly. But uh, you've got to pl- replace Couture. I don't know if they're that guy's on this roster. And Lincoln right. and Melijah Boutique, right. you have to convince him to come back. Right. And I, and I think you need, not only do you need to uh, to replace Couture, but you got to decide if the other guards in your program, you got to project in your head, are they going to be good enough next year? Because if, I think Tech should bring in two guards and a four in, in the offseason. And depending on who's still here will, would determine the, the profiles of those players. Um, but I, I, I would, I definitely think I would feel more comfortable with another backcourt option because, you know, Couture has gone. And even if you brought in somebody to replace him and he was a good player, then your other question marks are still there. So, uh, yes, he's got some retooling to do in the off season, I think. Well, what you got for us? So looking at, uh, I'm looking at conference only statistics and this has been three games. Um, Virginia tech is out shooting their opponents from the field, 46 Point two to forty three point five, out shooting them, shooting them from three point range thirty five point six to thirty point two percent. Total rebounds are ninety nine for Tech, one hundred and two for the opponents. So really close. Um, and the problem is, if you guys have said, is turnovers. Virginia Tech has forty five turnovers. Their opponents have thirty one. Mm-hmm. That's a big difference. Yep. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead and uh, leave it there on the men's basketball conversation. Chris is going to uh, go step out. He's got some editorial stuff to take I care gotta of. I got to start writing an article. There yeah. we go. Big stuff coming up uh, there. Will's going to hop back on the set. We're going to talk women's basketball uh, coming up in just a moment. Big win against number three NC State. We'll unpack it for you after this. It's episode 340 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back in, Tech fans. As always, Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company. As our presenting sponsor, First Bank and Trust Company's support has been invaluable to TSL, helping us to bring you all the great content across all of our platforms. Who you choose to bank with can make all the difference. Bank with First Bank and Trust Company. Visit firstbank.com to learn more. All right, Chris steps off. Will steps on. David Cunningham across the way. Nick Brown behind the scenes producing. Guys, women's basketball just got exciting that was it, fun it was, it was it was fantastic and it was exciting but it just took another notch up uh, and it felt like the good old days of when they were playing in the final four big win 13th rank Hokies take down number three NC State in an absolute thriller David that was awesome Will you and Chris were there Chris came up to me before the game he walked by press row and said that was his first women's basketball game since he was in college yeah how about that uh, wow. i know you obviously have you know covered the program and you've been to a lot of women's basketball games and i've covered them for a long time um that was and i'm obviously there's big there's an <laughs> age difference between us that in in my time that is the most impressive women's basketball crowd i've ever seen at castle coliseum it's uh definitely the most impressive crowd since they started charging for tickets back in the which i think was the 99 2000 season um it's funny, Tech had some highly attended games in the 98-99 season because they were really good, and that's the year they went to the Sweet 16. Um, and then Jim Weaver, as a good athletic director should do, started charging admission the next year, and that dropped the crowds down to about 2,500 um, per game, uh, which was actually an increase even over when it was free in prior times. But back to the topic, yes, that was a uh, that was a large crowd. It was a loud crowd, and 
I wasn't surprised by it because didn't the previous game have something like 6,000 It was over 6,000 on New Year's Eve yeah. for a 2 p.m. matinee against the te- worst team in the ACC. Yeah, I, I didn't go to that one, but I saw the highlights and I thought, holy cow, there's, there's a lot of people there. And at this point, I'm wondering if things keep trending the way they're trending, if the women's team is actually going to outdraw the men's team. So this that was the obviously tied for the highest attended game under Kenny Brooks. Right. Tied with the two NCAA tournament games last year that Tech sold out. Uh, if you could, so this season is on average f- averaging fifty four hundred fans a game. That that is largest of all time and that's in a terms lot. of years. Yeah. Um, Tech has. Uh, let me just do quick calculation real quick. Uh, times uh, Tech has... Do you need a bit of fill? Fill some air Sure, time? yeah. I'm, well, I was going to calculate. I mean, tech, so essentially the record for most fans in a season in Castle is 78,000. And Tech's going to blow that out of the water. Yeah. And and that just, it's a combination of everything. And I what, thought... What, what year was that 78,000 fans from? That was 98-99. That was... Uh, when what, games what, were free. When Tech averaged... 5,200 fans. Yeah, I'm, 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 I mean, I don't think I'm wrong on this. I think games were free back then. Um, Sounds about right. And the, the most highly attended regular season game in tech history was the Xavier game that year, which was about 9,700 fans back when capacity was, I believe, listed at 10,052. Mm, Since yeah. then, they've put, a, they put the pet band in there. They've carved out some seats. Uh, they press for, row. For wooden media. Seat, wooden, they, the wooden seats are no longer. Right. They got rid of the wooden seats, and I think that reduced uh, capacity as well. Yeah. Uh, so there were 9,700 fans for that game, and, and then Tech hosted first two rounds in the NCAA that year and pretty much sold out both games uh, um, right around the 10,000 mark. Yeah. So, but it's it's been a long time since there were that many fans in for a women's basketball game. I think it's impressed me, Gio, how much the fans actually – like. Like the fan support has surprised me. I expected to walk into Castle Coliseum on New Year's Eve for that pit game and there be maybe 2,000 people in the building. Yeah. It's like 6,000. Like, this is a good crowd. That's a very good crowd for New Year. Like, and then a sellout against NC State. I'm excited to see what happens over the next couple of weeks. Because the students and the band yeah. are not here. Yeah. And, and people yeah. always, be, you know, Georgia Amor was like, I can't even believe, like, we sold it out with the students, without the students. Don't forget the band. The band's very important, too. And mm-hmm. I thought the band, you know, the band obviously adds to the atmosphere. Um, they also fill a good 200 seats. Yeah. Probably 100 seats. But just, that's just crazy impressive. And they got to see a good basketball game. And I think, yes, Virginia Tech trailed for, for the majority of the game. But I felt like Tech was always kind of like right there, knocking on the door, just waiting for an opportunity. About eight minutes to go, Tech's down 11. It was kind of like do or die time. And Tech they rips did. off a, a, a 12-0 run, 14-2 to end the game, holds NC State scoreless for almost eight minutes, which is ridiculous. And the crowd was a big part of that. Yeah, and then Elizabeth Kitley's game-winning shot. I mean, just, just a great... Day in Castle Coliseum all around. So let's go ahead and break down that moment a little bit. I just loved the chess match that you got between Kenny Brooks and Wes Moore. Obviously, Wes Moore, 11th year with NC State. He has taken that program back to the heights that they were once at. Kenny Brooks has taken Virginia Tech to heights that they've never you know seen before, really, uh, after last season. And you had the, first of all, NC State 
kudos to them. After on a, going on a 12-0 uh, scoring drought on the other side for Virginia Tech, they did get that one bucket. And then they retook the lead there with, what, 2.1 left? That was a good basket. Yeah. Oh, heck of a take S- by Rivers. Sinai Rivers yeah. driving to the lane. And, and Kenny Brooks mentioned that they wanted to foul because they knew they had a foul to give. But they didn't want to foul if she was dry, if anybody was driving downhill, mm-hmm. and they got she kind of got downhill, turned her hips, went to the rim, and that the plan was not to foul. So she scores with two point one seconds left. Tech calls timeout. NC State calls timeout. So then you have this inbound. Uh, obviously, you get to advance the ball in, in women's hoops, uh, just like the NBA, which I think is very cool, by the way. Yes, yeah, I, I think it's awesome. Well, I, you don't win the game if you can't advance it, honestly. Yeah. Um, unless, unless I mean Georgia hit a half quarter against Iowa, things can happen, but uh, it wouldn't. It have makes been, things more difficult to draw up for sure, for sure. Um, especially with that limited amount of time. Um, and then you had they were kind of showing face where they were going to have Georgia inbound it and you just kind of had the feel that it was going to be a quick inbound right back to her and she was going to get the that, shot. Well then until Kenny Brooks admitted that it was going to be. And she had the hot hand at that point. Yeah. And then they show face. Westmore calls a timeout and then they go with the Kitley play. I mean it was just beautifully drawn up. Perfect execution. Heck of a pass by Kayla King. All the credit to her really. Yeah. That that was so Kenny Brooks uh, Kenny Brooks press conferences on YouTube go uh, on uh, for Virginia Tech Athletics or Hokie Sports go check it out um, it was really funny he explained as the entire thought process of here's what we were going to run and this is here was what we changed it to and afterwards he goes man I just gave my entire plays away <laughs> um, but yeah they originally had it set up where Amor was going to inbound it to Kitley run around real quick catch it drive to the rim or try to pull up and, and hit a shot Um and NC State switched some things. So Tech came out. Tech went to what Georgia Amor called Old Faithful, which is this play that Tech's run a bunch of times, and it's Kayla King inbounding the ball. And I was so surprised that NC State did not have somebody guarding her, Mm -hmm. inbounding it. Kayla King lobs it to the rim. Elizabeth Gitley coming off of a screen from Georgia Amor. And NC State fans were upset that she was moving. I thought it was yes, she had kind of her arms crossed a little bit, but I thought I thought it was more of she just kind I thought she played it off pretty well. She kind of just slowly moved over and ran into them a little bit. And that's more of a that's less of a screen and more of just like I'm just, you know, just kind of bumping into each other. And I think if you're official on that play, if it's NC if that if that's going against tech and that's NC State scoring that, I think you're looking at that going they that's a pretty good play and that gave elizabeth kitley all the time she needed beautiful pass from kayla king catch put up shot is good 0.9 seconds left nc state misses the the half court heave at the buzzer um funny enough last year when elizabeth kitley hit the game winner at north carolina there was 2.1 seconds remaining it was Kayla King inbounding to Kitley and George Amor screen. So just funny how how things were kind of repeat itself. But I mean, for Virginia Tech to be down eleven, to play with that th- core, the three, and then two freshmen in Karis Baker and Carly Wenzel, and they were crucial, huge. There was a span of six possessions in a row where Carly Wenzel had three rebounds and Karis Baker had two. Yeah. And they played good defense and Baker Baker had a block and I I, I don't think Wenzel did but Wenzel uh forced a really good miss. They played good defense down the stretch. Those are two freshmen 
If you don't get those contributions from them, you don't win the game. And George Amor and Elizabeth Kitley score all the points in the quarter. They were on a roll. And then everything just kind of set up perfectly. It was the perfect storm for Virginia Tech. And you can't forget the crowd. Because as George Amor said, with every every rebound, every make, the crowd, the decibel just kind of, it just got louder and louder and louder. Um, it kind of brought the crowd into it. Because I thought it was a good crowd that was kind of quiet for a while. Because they didn't have a ton to cheer about. And then you start to make make some shots and it's, oh man, this crowd's into it. NC State calls timeout with like four and a half, five minutes to go. Yeah. It's a four-point game. And at that point, it was kind of like, all right, this is anybody's game. Yeah. So, you know, regarding the crowd, <clears throat> a couple things. Um, women's basketball crowds are different than men's basketball crowds. Um, so Chris and I are sitting up in the corner and – there's just a lot more, for example, kids at women's basketball games. Like there were like six little boys next to us in the row. And they were really not all that interested in the game for the vast, like 35 out of the 40 minutes. So you had noise and the crowd was pretty decent. But where they really cranked it up was in that last five minutes when, when even a little kid can understand it. It's getting down to the end and this stuff is important. The noise that a women's basketball crowd makes is a little bit higher pitched and a little bit louder because getting back to the topic of kids being there, adults will cheer, but they'll restrain themselves. Kids don't restrain themselves. Once they get going, they will scream endlessly. So it's a little bit different. And um, when, when Liz Kitley made that shot, it reminded me of, uh, I just looked it up while David was talking in uh, the 2017, 2018 season. Do you remember when Virginia tech, David, were you in school in 2017, 2018? That was my freshman year. Right. Yeah. Do you remember when uh, Virginia Tech beat Duke on the last second uh, bank yeah. in? By, not last second. Yeah. It's Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Chris Clark. Yeah. That yeah, reminded so, me of... Oh, no, wait a minute. Let me finish my story. So Alexander-Walker misses a shot with like four seconds left to go. And, and Chris Clark just catches it and banks it in. And Duke was ranked fifth in the country, by the way. The, the, the instantaneous noise... That oh when that shot went in, it was just like when Liz's shot went in, because my reaction was I was expecting the old throw it in short, jack up the off off balance three pointer. And instead, you got a lob right underneath the basket. And I, if there had been a camera on me, you would have seen my jaw drop as that ball was flying through the air. So you're in, you're in disbelief. You're like, what am I looking at? Then she catches it and banks it in and the crowd goes from zero to eleven instantaneous yeah yeah so really cool yeah no i that i think i think that's a really good point i mean there have been there have been a lot of really good moments like game winners in in castle coliseum i I was i was talking with carter hill on tsl today yesterday talking about this game i mean i think like some of the most recent men's memories tyrese radford had shot against three in like two or three overtimes against carolina mj collins hit one against duke last year to win it Seth Allen in the lane against Virginia. Oh my God! Yeah, there there have been a bunch of yeah Seth Allen, um, uh, a couple of them obviously against Duke. There have been some really good ones. This is like the first big one for the women, and yeah. and this and it's going to I mean in front of a sold out crowd, first ever in a regular season game. It like that is special, and yeah, I mean I was I was mostly just amazed that. Like Kenny Brooks is a wizard when it comes to drawing up a play at Especially the end of the those, game. Uh, out of bounds plays, game yeah, winning yeah, out of bounds. Draw, plays. Yeah, drawing up a, an out of bounds play at the end of the game. I mean, it all comes down to what you can do on your clipboard. 
and what the players can execute. And one of the things that I, I wrote about yesterday was this was a program in 2020 to 2021, that season, that was the COVID season. Tech only played about 25 games. Tech had five games where it led by more than 10 points and ended up blowing the lead and losing. Since then, that's only happened one time. In the three years since, that was the LSU game in the Final Four. Mm. Tech does not... Boo. <laughs> tech, the talent level and the confidence and the culture, everything has gotten so good that it's gotten to the point where Tech is not... People are not making runs at Tech anymore. People are not coming... When Tech's up 15, people aren't coming back because Tech has the players and the coaches... You know, like Tech has the ability to overcome that now. Kenny Brooks sat on in this chair on the podcast over the summer and, and kind of talked about it a little bit, about how in those early years, they just didn't have the players. They've got the players. They've got two All-Americans, and that makes it easy, sure. And 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 Kayla King had a beautiful pass, and she'll always be kind of that that third, and she'll always be in some ways underrated. But she, she you know, Virginia Tech is not... Virginia Tech, this team as we know it without Kayla King's contributions. But the fact that, you know, you look back five, six years ago, Tech is not able to execute that play because Tech does not have the talent because they don't have somebody like Kayla King who can make that pass. They don't have somebody like Elizabeth Kittle who can make that shot. It just doesn't happen. So it's so it's not just talent, it's attitude. And, and you know, Liz has had a couple of game-winning shots, but George is the one to me that puts the team on her back. Yeah, um, yeah. And, you know, and, and she did that. She wasn't – Georgia wasn't having a great shooting game. She was then, one of eight in the first half. Right. She had three points in the first half, yeah, right? Yeah, and, and then picked it, picked it up quite a few notches in, in the second half. So the other thing is that um, you talk about attendance and interest in the program, and um, part of the interest in the program is not just the high level that they're performing at, but the personalities of the players. Everybody likes Kenny Brooks, the coach. Um People love Liz Kitley and Georgia Amor. They are special personalities. And he gets back to Georgia airballs a three and they cut the camera to her and she's laughing about it. And I know that might tick some fans off, but but it's Georgia Amor who's like, I can't believe I did that. And a lot yeah. of fans are like, oh man, it's okay. And she's not. She's, she's <laughs> like, that's, that's just like how much people love her. And she's not rattled by it. And you know, she's going to come back from it. And she did. Yeah. Um, so... I, I would, I would tell tech fans. Um, clearly, a lot of them have been coming to the games. If you haven't been coming to the games, come to the games because this is this is a special moment in time for this program. We hope there will be collections of players like this in the future, and that they'll achieve at a high level in the future. But they're doing it right now, so go see them because if you don't, you'll be sorry that you didn't. Yeah. Th- think about think about how you talk about legends in the past, like the way that we talk about Vic and the way that we talk about Tyrod Taylor and D'Angelo Hall and players like that's this right now. And that is this. So here's, here's a guy that people would kill to see play in Castle Coliseum again, random example, Deron Washington. Oh my God. Yeah. You know, and, and Deron was an example of, so part of what happened in the Seth Greenberg era was he had, he had the group of, he he had Zabian Dowdell, Coleman Collins and Jamon. uh, Jamon Gordon 
And Duran came in one year after them. So Duran was here for a year after. And the don't three forget of them AD Visayo. Sure, AD. And, and, and <laughs> a, but AD was a was a mellow dude. He was fun to watch, That's but true. he was mellow. <laughs> but when Duran Washington left the building, the likability of Seth's teams went down. Everybody respects the ability of Jeff Allen. You should have said it when his mom left the building, because his mom was, was always on television. Deal, yeah, man. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. So, but but it just even in Seth's, you know that 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 next group of players for Seth is is their group that, in addition to Seth's own shortcomings, wound up in Seth getting fired. But I remember those four years with those four guys, the, those that core team that Seth had. They just weren't likable. And I'm not bad-mouthing the guys. You mean they, the guys after af, Washington? After, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Jamon Gordon had such a personality, and Coleman Collins had his story, and Deron Washington had such a personality. And that's not how Jeff Allen and, and Malcolm Delaney and those guys were wired, yeah. you know. Um, that's not to say they were unlikable. I'm just saying you didn't warm up to them like you did. So to bring the conversation yeah. back around, everybody loves Liz in Georgia. So uh, get out there and see him play. Yeah. I, I think it's funny. Um, you know, Kenny Brooks show, I believe they're recording tonight on Tuesday, but if you listen, the, the, the they do, um, Evan Hughes hosts it and it's at the, uh, uh university club, university club. Thank you. In yep. Lane stadium. Um, and there's, the, the crowds have really impressed me. People, I mean, people people love this. And and Evan Hughes, or I guess Kenny Brooks has been saying it um, in their program. You know, if Carly Wenzel was going to have a podcast, they'd call it Everyone Loves Carly. You know, kind of like every, everyone loves uh, uh, Chris. Um, <laughs> I think you can you can see it after games how much people appreciate them. And it's not just kids. I mean, Elizabeth, I, I took a picture of Elizabeth Kitley about 50 minutes after the game. And she stayed probably for about 70 minutes after the game signing autographs. And some of them are for kids, but some of them are for like adults who have been Virginia Tech fans their entire lives. And and people people just absolutely love her, people love Georgia. And and it's awesome to see because um you know, between the like like the little kids like they're inspiring the next generation right in front of their eyes. And, and I compare it to when um, I was in Charlotte for the Iowa game and you see Caitlin Clark get all this media attention, rightfully yeah. so. She's the best player in the country. And she's got all these little girls and sometimes little boys holding up, you know, wearing Caitlin Clark jerseys and holding up signs and, um, or just, you know, ordinary fans, you know, my age and, you're starting to see that here. And it's not just for one player, it's for the team. And I think right. it's really, really unique because that's something that, at least in my time, that's never happened. You, you've, I think when that 2018-2019 men's basketball team made that run, there was something special about it and you could feel how much the fans loved that team. Yeah. But... This is not just a one-time thing for this women's basketball team. I mean, obviously, it helps that they had so much success last year, but like, they are beloved, and and it you just can't really replicate that. And and as a result, I'm like I'm again I mentioned earlier, I'm very curious to see what happens when Tech hosts Carolina and Duke and UVA here when the students are back. The students get back next week. Virginia Tech's gonna play a lot of home games. If Tech can sell out Castle Coliseum for a handful of more games, not just 
a top five game against NC State. That like that Castle Coliseum can turn into a fortress. It already is a pretty good home home court advantage, but there there are so many things heading in the right direction with this program. We haven't even talked about how big of a win. No, it is. I mean, like the magnitude of the win, third ever win against a top five team. Yeah. And to and, do it in that fashion. And you assert your dominance against uh, NC State a little bit there with, with three consecutive wins uh, yeah. over the Wolfpack as well, which which is huge because they had a little bit of a lull last season. But it, it feels like NC State is back. I mean, I will remind everybody, they are the only team in the country that hold two wins over top three teams. They took yeah. down a top three UConn team and a top three Colorado team. Uh, I want to ask you guys this. Does Kitley kind of pull ahead in a race here a little bit? Now she had a 27-12 and 12 game. She had her quote-unquote Heisman moment of the season. Last year it felt like she really stapled ACC Player of the Year after that buzzer beater uh, against UNC. Does she have a three-peat in her after a game like this? I mean, she's definitely the front runner. Yeah. I, and she always – she was never not. Um, I, Who, I, who's out there to compete with her? Like, I, I know uh, Notre, Notre Dame, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, Notre, Han- Notre Dame's got a really good freshman, um, right? Yeah, Hannah Hildago, who's won, like, ACC Player of the Week a handful of times. Um, Tania Latson and, at Florida State um, and and Tipson, Timson, I'm forgetting her first name, at Florida State. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Deja Kelly and Alyssa Usby at, at North Carolina. Um Sanaya Rivers at NC State. I mean, she Deja Fair is pretty good. Yeah, I mean, De- Deja Fair. You had to bring up Syracuse. Had to. Um, there, there are a bunch of really good players in the in the conference, but I think what goes overlooked is that Elizabeth Kitley can just casually have a twenty-seven and twelve double double night in and night out. It is utterly ridiculous. It's like the football team winning ten games year after year under Frank Beamer. You just, you expect it, and you get kind of. Board's a negative word, but yeah. you, you expect it. She's playing better basketball, too. Um, I know she had a bunch of turnovers against Wake Forest, but but she is she's scoring the ball better. She's rebounding the ball better. Georgia Amor is playing better, too. Georgia Amor's averaging 7.5 assists per game. Crazy. After averaging 4 last year. Wow, and her sco- I, did, I did not know And her scoring has gone up. She already has over 100 assists. Her first year here, she only had 115 an entire year. Like... Mm. Georgia Amor isn't playing at an incredible level, but everybody just kind of takes it for for granted, and and I think that's kind of the the crazy thing about it. Yeah, I, I think, um, and Elizabeth Kidley would join an elite company if if she won her th- a third straight ACC Player of the Year. It's only happened once or twice. Uh, two or three times, I think twice on the men's side, twice on the women's side. Um, I'm trying to think of. Of there's a there's, there's a, a list player I have. Duke that did it on the women's side. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one of the guys who did it on the men's side is Ralph Sampson. Um, mm. Like like elite company yeah. we're talking about. Um, but yeah, I think she kind of she kind of pulls away. But this this team has a lot of momentum right now, and I'm very curious to see. They got a good Miami team in Castle on Thursday. Then they go to Florida State, a Florida State team who gave NC State a run for its money. And you talk about how good of a team NC State is. NC State was out without center River Baldwin, which I feel like kind of hurt Tech. Like, yes, because they played very fast transition they basketball a four guard with lineup. their small, yes. small ball. Yeah. And if River Baldwin plays for Tech, Tech is allowed. Tech probably uses more of its size. But as a result, Tech is essentially playing a four-guard lineup as well. Tech is matching that because you don't want, like, in past games, Kenny Brooks has played Clara Strack and Elizabeth Kitley together. Right. He's not going to play both of them together when NC State's tallest player is 6'3". What'd Clara get? Three minutes? She Yeah, she didn't. Not uh, much. 
Uh, yeah, 90 seconds. 90 seconds. And that was just to take Kitley out of the game yeah. and, give, and give her a breather. Um, but no, I, I, and, and this is a, this is a big win. Um, I referred to this as a midterm exam for Virginia Tech because mm. Tech was okay uh, in those first two big tests, Iowa and, you know, better in, against Iowa, okay against LSU. But this is a completely different team, completely different team now. And to be able to advance to 3-0 in the ACC, get a third, get a the, your third ever top five win in program history in front of that crowd, that is going to, as Kenny Brooks said, feed that crowd. That crowd's going to want to come back. And you've got all this momentum in ACC play now. You prove to yourself, not that Tech ever doubted itself, but you proved to yourself that you could come from behind and win against a really good team. That is a top five, top 10 NC State team. Yeah. And I think... I was talking to my friend uh, Ethan McDowell, who covers NC State for On3. We were sitting next to each other covering the game. We both agreed that might be part one of a three-part series. That'd be epic. That ends in the ACC championship game this year. Like These are the two of the best teams. And the fact that Virginia Tech was able to close out the game the way it did, so much confidence going forward. And long season, a lot of basketball left to be played. But, man, they they are playing... Like, they did not even necessarily play their best basketball, but they were able to come from behind and, and grind out the win. Like, that says a lot about who they are. All right, so so let's do some math here. Uh, I was just looking at it. Virginia Tech was 3-3 three and three in the ACC last year. They finished 14-4, and four, which means they went 11-1. and one. How many games did they win in the ACC? Three or four? ACC tournament? Three. 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 So that they ended the season on a fifteen game winning streak. So that was a that was a fourteen and one in the ACC from the time they were three and three. They're three and this year. They won seventeen out of their last eighteen ACC games. I will warn Tech fans <laughs> they aren't going to win them all. You know, I know that's your expectation now, but that's uh, seventeen of eighteen in a in a very good conference. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, I want to uh, talk postseason play just a little bit here. So this vaulted the Hokies to number 11 in the country. Was a little surprised they didn't crack into the top 10, uh, but they did get up to number 11. Which what I would say about that is everybody else ahead of Virginia Tech has one or no losses. Right. And Tech is the highest two-loss team. Do you know where Tech is in the net, though? That's really the important thing. Uh, Nick's going to look, Nick's gonna look Nick's that gonna up gonna for look. us. NC State fell from 3-6. to six. Uh we have the earliest, uh, excuse me, not the earliest, the most up-to-date bracketology right here. Virginia Tech hosting a region as a four seed in that there's Utah, Chattanooga, and James Madison. So the Hokies <laughs> would match up against JMU in round one. Boy, does the NCAA know what JMU they're doing? JMU round one and then Sean Poppy. And, and then Sean Poppy and round two. Yeah, so Kenny Brooks, former school, and then... His, 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 yes. yeah, yeah. Well, last year you had it with the Sean Poppy matchup, and you're like, man, they know exactly what they're doing. If they match them up against Jay, like, it, it's just yeah. funny. Uh, 15th in the net, NC State is 10. So, so Tech's 15th in the net. Yeah. NC, State's NC State's 10. 10. Uh, the te- team to keep out for, I'm, I know we are just casually cheering for this, but keep an eye on Vanderbilt. Yeah. There's Jake Lyman. Jake Lyman. Yeah. Vanderbilt's 16 and 1, man. And that, J- Vandy's in that same regional. Uh, two as an eight seed. I was the number one seed, um, and that's from Charlie Cream of ESPN. Yeah, I, I think that's a good spot for Tech right now. Again, long season to go. Remember, this Virginia Tech team was like a three or four, like probably like a two or three seed until it beat 
until it won the NCAA or ACC tournament last year and beat Louisville. Yeah. And then it vaulted up to a one seed, and everybody was like, oh, wow. So there's there's a lot of basketball to be played. Texas in a good spot. No doubt. Miami on Thursday, number 21, Florida State on the road after that, and then you're at Duke next Thursday. So a lot of basketball coming up. You got Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, just like that. Uh, women's is in, in full swing. Your final thoughts on women's hoops before we let everyone go, guys. Well, I, I just I don't really have any final thoughts. Um, <laughs> He's just excited. Well, yeah, I, I personally have not attended very many men's or women's games so far this year. But it's that time of year where all of the football stuff's over, all the Christmas stuff is over, and it's time to start watching some basketball games. This is a fun team to cover. Um, I will be – I will not be in Tallahassee because the men are at home on Saturday against Miami. Um, but I will be in Durham next week for the for the women. See you there. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, this is where the rubber meets the road, as they say. I mean, this is like kind of do-or-die time. Th- this is – Virginia Tech – has the advantage it's text 3-0 in the ACC and that's you know Westmore said it after the game <laughs> he's like he's like there's no way that the ACC champion is undefeated it's too good of a league you're going to have scratches and some scar- battle scars when when you get out of conference play but you want to be playing your best basketball come the ACC tournament, come March. I think Virginia that's what Tech did last year. I think Virginia Tech winning 15 <laughs> is an anomaly. I mean, it's that's crazy. just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, but but Virginia Tech is in a good spot. And, and I'm curious to see how Carly Wenzel and Karis Baker continue to, to get more playing time because they were crucial in Virginia Tech's win. If Tech can continue to figure out that that four through seven eight in terms of the rotation tech's gonna be in a really good spot final uh final wrap up here what's coming up on tsl.com uh, this week uh, that's chris, your managing editor over there yeah right. chris is working on um chris is working on some i don't know what chris is working on actually he's, he said he's it's working a big on a article it's top secret i don't remember I can't I think remember. It's a I've football looked, thing. I've looked at the editorial schedule. Yeah. I can't recall. Uh, I'm writing, a, but it's huge. It's enormous. It's, it's very I'm, big. I'm writing a, <laughs> a, a men's basketball preview for Clemson. I'll have a Miami preview for the women uh, tomorrow morning. Uh, yeah, a lot of basketball going on Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, Saturday Sunday, Sunday, Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. Got lots of good stuff, and, and it's kind of nice because Tech's finally back at home again. Mm-hmm. Like Tech had. A week or two where feels feel felt like I was driving to Winston Salem every day. So, <laughs> well, that's because there were back to back games in Winston Salem. Uh, well, uh, thanks so much to our sponsors, the Hokie Way and First Bank and Trust Company, as well as Triumph NIL for Chris Coleman, for Will Stewart, for David Cunningham, for Nick Brown. I'm Giovanni Heater saying so long. Thanks for tuning in to episode 340 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We'll see you next week.